The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. For 40 years, the square foot gardening method has been transforming traditional gardening practices around the world. It is known as a highly efficient method of growing food in small spaces. In this episode of the Garden Question podcast, we talk with Steve and Laura Bartholomew. They continue to spread the gardening legacy of Steve's father, Mel Bartholomew, the creator of Square Foot Gardening. We learn how Mel's vision continues through the Square Foot Gardening Foundation. We also discover how the foundation helps all gardeners learn to create their own sustainable, sufficient, and reliable food source. From the beginning, Mel's book captured how to grow more food with less space. This simple and highly productive message led to it becoming the world's number one selling gardening book of all times. Let's dive into the successful, knowledge-filled conversation that unfolds in episode 148, Square Foot Gardening, Growing More Food with Less Space, with Steve and Laura Bartholomew on the Garden Question Podcast. Hey, before we get started with the interview with Steve and Laura, the Square Foot Gardening Foundation has given us a 20% off coupon to pass along to you for their online comprehensive Square Foot Gardening Methods course. If you're interested, Go to the episode page 148 on the GardenQuestionPodcast.com and get the 20% off coupon. This is not an affiliate link and we're not being compensated for you using the coupon. So go to the GardenQuestionPodcast.com, episode page 148, and get the 20% off coupon code. Now on to Steve and Laura with what I think is a very interesting story. Steve and Laura, with all the gardening techniques out there, why has square foot gardening remained so popular? You know what, Craig? We're getting ready to publish our fourth edition next year via Corto, our publisher in Cool Springs Press. I have to say, square foot gardening has sold over 3 million books. It is the largest selling gardening book in the history. One of the Main reasons we feel it is so pertinent today as it was 40 years ago is the simplicity of the system that my dad developed. So he was an engineer and he was always looking to make things streamlined and simpler for people. When he first realized that most people give up gardening halfway through the summer, he knew he could develop a better way and he set about to do that. In his engineering mind, he wanted to make things more concise. He did not like waste and saw tremendous amounts of wasted time, wasted energy in terms of the water we use and seeds and everything associated with 
the old traditional backyard gardening, which was single row. That was based on small-scale farming from the Victory Garden era. He brought about this engineering mind and, and sat down and, and developed the system over several years. He came up with a way that he felt was adaptable to no matter where you live in the world. You're not growing in your soil wherever you live. You're creating a growing mix. And by planting certain sizes of plants and vegetables and flowers in a certain space, you're giving them everything that they need to grow healthy and produce a lot of vegetables. The system with his first book in 1981 took off as well as the TV show on PBS. The TV show was one of the first shows ever on PBS that was allowed to sell books and have an advertisement for books. This propelled Square Foot Gardening to become the, as popular as it is. The simplicity of the system and how easy and successful it makes our gardeners today is one of the reasons why it is as popular today as it was 40 years ago. Did Mel grow up in a gardening family? His mother, my grandmother, had a large traditional row garden out in the backyard. We grew up gardening as children. I had my own small garden. My dad had a larger garden. It was more of the traditional gardening that you saw after World War II. They called them victory gardens, and it was more single row and a lot of wasted space, energy, water, and resources. When he retired from his engineering business, he was at a community garden and saw midway through the season that it was empty. Everything was overgrown. All the vegetables and fruit were laying on the ground rotting. People were no longer interested. It was too much work. He knew he could find a better way to present gardening to the average people and homeowners. That's what he did. He set out to develop this system. Do you remember those first trials that he was doing? I do. I do. I was working in New York City at the time in advertising. He was doing small little clips, the uh, local PBS station. I was involved in television a little bit through the advertising agency I was working with. He wanted myself to come out to Long Island and help him with a, a concept of a TV show for gardening. In those days, his one square foot was actually a four square foot divided in half. So there were two square feet and he took that and just kept on working down smaller and smaller till he got it to one square foot. He had a lot of trial gardens for years. He was working on continuously trialing different plants, different vegetables, how they grew best, what spaces, what nutrients did they need. In the wintertime, he would travel around the southern parts of the United States talking to gardeners and what problems they had. He developed a system not only in his own yard here on Long Island, but also by traveling around a lot of parts of the country, talking to gardeners, talking to experts, and also gardeners and their trials and issues that they were having with gardening. He developed a system based on that. What is it about growing in a small space that made it so productive? Not everybody has big swaths of land, so that would be the first reason why a small space gardening would really be beneficial. But you can also locate it easier within your yard based on your sun, you're using less resources, less water, less soil ingredients or composts. You also are planting closer together. So these plants are really taking up the space that weeds would normally pop up through. That in combination with the Mel's mix that Mel had created, and that's the gardening soil-less mixture, we'll call it, 
between that and the close spacing, there's not many weeds. A funny story about Mel that I remember is Mel didn't like to garden. He felt gardening was way too much work. That was the impetus for him to figure out a way to make it easier because he did see how people got frustrated and abandoned with all the work. The bigger it was, the more work it was. That was really the reasoning behind making it smaller and smaller while still keeping it productive. Is that productivity through succession planning? One square plays out and then you replant or what? Yes, that's part of it for sure, Craig. The succession planting enabled you to have three seasons in one square. It also was actually nutritious for the soil because you weren't planting the same things in each square. You had automatic crop rotation in that manner. Mel figured out, how do you solve all these problems of crop rotation and extending growing season, keeping it small? He used his engineering background and his determination to find an easier and better way to garden for everyone. All those components together really is what the philosophy of square foot gardening was. You have to realize that, as Steve had said, he used to have a garden at home when he was growing up. His parents actually were the generation that came out of the Depression. So wasting was just not an option back then. I think that people, especially since the pandemic, have come to realize that wasteful things are not acceptable anymore the way they were maybe in the mid-70s and beyond. But now people are starting to come back to that mindset of sustainability, small space, and doing more with less. Could you walk us through what a square foot garden looks like or how to build one? Sure. I can start you with that one and Laura will maybe pick up halfway through with some of the planting of it. A square foot garden can compose of something really simple. My dad used to like to find free anything. If it didn't cost him anything, he enjoyed that. So free wood was crucial. Basically, square foot gardening is build a box, fill it with Mel's mix, add a grid, and start planting. Now, obviously, that's three items that are very simplistic. So let's get into those a little bit. Building a box. We go down to our local lumber store or some of your big box stores, and they have lots and lots of free wood. There's obvious things that you want to look out for. You don't want treated lumber, of course, and you don't want painted lumber. You don't want any of that to come in contact with your plants. There's different types of lumber, and our books have gotten into that in quite detail, as well as our website. With that wood in mind, you're basically going to build a box to hold your Mel's mix, which is your soil. That box should never be wider than four feet. My dad figured when you're kneeling down at your box or you're squatting down, your average arm length in is two feet. If you're able to go around the box on all sides, you can always reach in two feet. So therefore, four feet wide was your maximum width. But that can be changed to anything you really want. In our garden here, we've got a box that's six feet by three feet. And we have one that's two feet by six feet. We have a two by two. We've got a four by four. We have a three by three. You can customize the box any way you want. We recommend the box being a six inches tall. I prefer the eight inch tall box only because we travel a lot in the summer. And that extra two inches of Mel's Mix helps keep things nice and moist. We have added watering grid via our good friends out of Florida. They're also on the website. 
that watering good helps us keep watering while we're away on traveling for the Square Foot Gardening Foundation. But building a box is crucial. It's simple. It's easy. There's details uh, in our books and on our website of how to do it and different sizes and configurations. Once you build that box, you want to, of course, fill it with a growing medium that we call Mel's Mix. This growing medium is really important in many different reasons. It comprises basically of three items. Compost, and we recommend your homemade compost that you make yourself. If not, if you're using a bagged compost, you want to carefully look at the ingredients of what you're purchasing. Put in five different ingredients of the bagged compost. Five ingredients could be a compost with cow manure, a compost with mushroom, a compost with seaweed and lobster and things like that. Keep in mind with that, you want to make sure that a lot of them add peat moss. One of the third ingredients in Mel's Mix is peat moss. The other ingredient is vermiculite. Vermiculite adds a tremendous amount of friability to your soil. It retains water like nothing else, so we find it works very well. These three ingredients in equal parts is called Mel's Mix. Once you have that in your bed, it's good for at least seven to 10 years. You don't have to do anything but add a trowel full of compost when you're planting. These three ingredients inside your box, you put a grid on the top that delineates your squares. A lot of people say, why do I need a grid? Imagine, if you will, driving into a parking lot and having no discernible lines on the parking lot of where to park. Gardening can be very simple like that. We find the grid is crucial to square foot gardening. Spacing, it's easy to remember what's in that square, what you're going to put in it afterwards. The square grid is important in square foot gardening, and that can be made with very different ingredients, anything from wood to plastic. A lot of different things can be used. Natural bamboo can be used. Those two ingredients to build the box and to fill it with the metals mix are the first two steps. I think Laura can expand a little bit on the Mel's mix. We have a tremendous amount of material on our website of how to make it, why use Mel's mix versus other things that you may find at the store. There's really strong evidence and reasons why we do what we do with square foot gardening. It is a simple method, and if you do follow it simply, you will be successful in gardening. But let me let Laura finish up with the Mel's mix and get into the planting squares. It's a pretty simple method if you follow it because it's almost guaranteed success. Part of the reasons that Mel did the squares and the grids was to keep it organized. He saw how people wasted seeds. People would plant just a bunch of indiscriminate seeds in their beds and have 18 heads of lettuce come up at once. When would you go to a market and buy 18 heads of lettuce at once to feed your family? That would be wasteful. What Mel did in this grid system was he created the way to space it by already planting to what they call the thin two. So whenever you look at your seed packet, there's a thin two. You're going to plant all these seeds, right? And then you're going to thin them out after they germinate. Mel was like, why would we do that? Why not plant them according to the thin two so that we don't have to thin later? This way, we can save the seeds, which have longevity. If you store them properly, seeds can actually last up to 10 years. He's like the ultimate frugal gardener. In his mind, he was like, why are we doing this? 
These grids actually act as individual square foot gardens. If you look at the one foot by one foot space, his philosophy was, look at it like that's a mini garden. You'll see that once you have success growing in this small one foot by one foot grid space, go to the next grid, build on that success. And that's how you can become a successful gardener by having those little successes that enable you to go to bigger spaces with keeping sustainability in mind and not wasting seeds or not wasting space, not wasting the water. Everything that Mel thought about was about not wasting anything. A lot of people put the grids on a garden and they say, oh, I'm square for gardening. No, it's a little bit more than that. It's the kind of soil that you're using, the Mel's mix that we talked about. It's also in conjunction with the thin two. There is a formula, like if you have seeds that say, well, thin to 12 inches, that's going to be one per square. Or if you have thin to six inches, that's going to be four plants per square. So Mel broke it down really simply to say it's like shirt sizes, extra large, medium, and small. That's pretty much the simplicity of the spacing of square foot gardening while you're saving seeds year after year, while you're having succession planting and automatic crop rotation. All these things are combined together to create what we know the system of square foot gardening. We're using seeds, we could use transplants, and we're planting it in the males mix in a box that we've built that's no deeper than six inches and no wider than four feet. Mel figured everything out. You could have a box that runs along a fence if you want to use that as a trellis or what have you. If you make that four feet wide from that fence or more, say five feet, you're not going to be able to reach in there. How are you going to harvest if it's six, eight feet long and it's going along your fence and over four feet wide? You're not going to be able to reach in to harvest. So you can do different configurations. If you're going to have the 360 going around, the box should never be more than four feet wide or you're not going to be able to tend to the center of your box. You don't want to walk and compact your growing soil. The boxes are shallow. You're not using a lot of ingredients. Initially, square foot gardening takes a lot to get set up as far as getting the ingredients to make this mills mix, as we call it, which is actually a soilless mixture that is friable, retains water, has all the nutrients you need for most vegetables because it's in a neutral pH range. You're already starting out with the perfect soil as opposed to trying to plant in the ground where you don't know what's in that soil. There could be toxins in that soil, metals. We don't really know. You don't know what the pH is or the nutrients. You're constantly amending it to get the soil better, to take the rocks out, to make it more friable, to give it more nutrients. Over the years, and, and, and Mel figured out, it takes about seven years to get the soil to a point that's perfect for growing vegetables. After all those years of amending, then you say, oh, honey, it's time to sell the house. We got to move. What do you have to do? You have to start all over. He figured out this mix, and that's part of the secret of growing shallow is the mix. Craig, just to tag on to what Laura was saying. The Square Foot Garden YouTube channel has some absolutely fantastic videos, many of them done by one of our certified instructors, Rick Bickling out of Texas. Rick gets into some of the scientific facts of Mel's mix, all the different ingredients, and explains them much better than what I could do because he knows the scientific aspect of it, along with some of our certified advisors have put together really well-done videos as to why Mel's Mix works so well. 
We know the simple reason that it works. We know a little bit more than that, but we have some really informative videos on our YouTube channel. I encourage your listening audience to go to those to, to get some further information as to why this works so well. Why you just don't go to a store, pick up a bag of topsoil and put it in your box. That's not going to work for you. And we, Square Foot Gardening, if followed simply, you're going to be successful. Bob, the males mix. Let's dig into that just a little bit. I know when you mentioned peat moss that a lot of gardeners' antennas just sprang up real fast and just went, no, we can't use peat moss. That's right. Yeah. Peat moss has gotten a really bad rap, and I get that. Here's the thing. Americans get their peat moss from Canada. That's where it's coming from. 2% of all the peat moss that's harvested up in those bogs, those beautiful bogs, and believe me, we love sustainability, is used for horticultural use. Unlike Europeans that have used peat over the centuries for fuel, they do have a real problem over there. Here's what I say, and it's always a delicate line to walk. You can make this case for almost anything in gardening. You'll find a reason why it's not sustainable. We could talk about seed starting trays and many other things that people use in gardening. Fertilizers, the list goes on. So let's address the peat moss. The Canadian government is, I won't say they're policing themselves, but they want to be in it to win it. The rate of harvest is much less than the rate of regrowth in those bogs. 2% of the peat moss that's harvested is used for horticultural use. Now that includes when you go to a nursery and you're using plant starts. Those are also a mixture of peat moss and usually perlite or things like that. That includes any bagged soils that you're buying. A lot of times they use peat moss as fillers, including bags of compost because it's lightweight and shipping is now expensive. So if you really don't want to use peat moss, then you shouldn't be using any of those things. Okay. If you want to cut back on your peat moss, you have to be aware of these things. Many people use other things for Mel's Mix. They're not going to get the same exact results, but some people have success with it. I say, do you. If you're adverse against using peat moss, then people use coconut coir. What we say is you're better off making your own compost, because that's the most sustainable of all, and using two-thirds compost, one-third coarse vermiculite. If you have a problem with vermiculite too, then we say grow in all compost, but that has its own problems too. There is no real magic bullet. Just buying a bagged soil because you don't want to use peat moss is not really going to be the answer, Craig. So people really have to do their homework. Peat moss will be continued to be harvested for the horticultural industry, which is not going to stop using it because it does work and it does promote people to grow because of the aeration and the friability, the lightweight aspects of the substrate. But yeah, if you want to try using coconut core, the foundation has looked into all of these things. We actually have done experiments on comparisons between using the coconut core and using Mel's Mix. The Mel's Mix still wins out hands down as far as growth if it's made correctly. But you guys know in Georgia, you have clay soil. How the heck are you going to grow in clay soil? Is it more sustainable then to spend all that money and put all those ingredients that are leaching into the soil to make it friable? These are questions that each individual gardener 
has to examine, educate themselves, make decisions, and do what they feel is right. That's the philosophy of the Square for Gardening Foundation. You do what you feel is right, but we still stand by the Mel's Mix one-third, one-third, one-third. We do tell people the alternatives on how to alter the Mel's Mix the best way that we know how. The rest is up to the individual gardener and what they want to do. You only need six inches to grow in Mel's Mix. Steve and I have grown indeterminate tomatoes 15, 16 feet high in six inches of Mel's Mix. I kid you not. We do it every year. Mel was really onto something. The beauty of that is once this Mel's Mix is made, and you use that peat moss, that will last you for 10 years with added compost each time you plant for nutrients. But it's not like you're constantly using peat moss and you're constantly using vermiculite. You do it once and it's lasting you anywhere from 7 to 10 years. You're using such a little amount. The formula is like a sponge, so it's saving water. I think water is our most precious resource. All those things, when you really start to delve into what Mel thought about and created, it really has been a well-thought-out plan in that manner. It is sustainable because of the longevity of it, how little of it you use, how much more produce you get from the little bit that you're using. Let's say we live in an area in the world that doesn't have access to peat or doesn't have access to vermiculite. Walk us through that. I'll give you an example of that. A lot of people don't know Square Foot Gardening Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit. Our work is really educational and humanitarian. One of Mel's, I'll call him a student, had taken one of his seminars and was enthralled as to how Mel condensed this gardening system, created this Mel's mix. So he set out on his journey and he had success. This is a guy who wanted to drop out of society in the sense of the nine-to-five rut. He moved to Guatemala. His idea was to become a trail-running tour guide. He loved the landscape. He loved the people. He loved the culture. But he gets there and he realized, wow, these people are malnourished. These people could grow in this incredible climate. We could do square foot gardening here. The big hurdle was we don't have peat moss or vermiculite. What they did was, and it's really what Mel said in the beginning, if you can't get those things or you don't want those things, you grow in compost. What he actually did was he taught these people how to square foot garden using straight compost. They actually go into the forests in Guatemala and they dig the earth from the forest floor. They carry it back in big sacks and they put it in these boxes, continue to grow using the method in straight compost. It's working for them. People in Africa, I could show you pictures. We had a guy, Wayne Burleson, and I'll give a kudos to Wayne and his wife. They have been to Africa 26 times into these really remote villages where there ain't nothing. One of the reasons why Square for Gardening does really work well there is because of the small space and how it's condensed. They would grow in compost. Their beds were boulders. Their grids were bamboo stakes. If these remote villages in Africa can use the principle there using compost, and it works for them to a degree, it might not flourish as much as we could, but it does work, then you can square for garden anywhere. You really can. The guy in Guatemala has got over 3,000 square for garden boxes that he built, taught people how to eat vegetables that they've never heard of before, like lettuces or greens. They were basically eating corn. Yeah. 
that's way up high in the mountains. These are the indigenous Mayan peoples. He's changed their whole diet via square foot gardening. They're growing vegetables that they never knew existed. They've never even eaten them, and it's changed their diet. He's helping them correct something that's called stunting, which is basically malnutrition. It affects their mental abilities as well as their physical abilities. Singularly, with square foot gardening, making a major difference with a Mayan culture up high in the mountains in Guatemala. And it's an amazing success story. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to them if I could, Craig. Cultiva International. Like us, they are a 501c3. We have donated to them. We've partnered with them. I think a lot of people don't realize that square foot gardening is a little bit different, especially since Mel passed away in that, yes, we have the best-selling garden book in the history of garden books, all those wonderful things. All the monies that are earned for square foot gardening, book sales, or any donations that we receive from the public are going to programs like Cultiva International, school programs, community gardens, underserved communities that need help, quite frankly, in learning how to grow. That is what the philosophy of square foot gardening is. It's, it's not just a method. It's a philosophy of life. It is empowering people. It is building on small square successes. It is sustainability. It is all those things together. It is frugality. It is all those things together that comprise what we are based on what Mel really taught us. We're trying to bring that into this technological age and get the word out to people that every book sale is not us spending it on indiscriminate things. You're helping people. That's what you're doing. Right now, we're working on a, a really nice project in Denver, Colorado. This is the Anchor Center for Blind Children. The whole concept of square foot gardening works wonderful with this population there. We're building beds with them. They're learning how to garden with simple spacing techniques. These children, they're accomplishing so much with their square foot gardens, and the joy on their faces is just amazing to watch. We have projects like this throughout the United States. We're working on a, a garden now in Texas as well, where there's a tremendous amount of elevated beds. So we've just put in a concrete pathway. So all these beds are now used by people that uh, need to use wheelchairs. It's accessible to them. It's a good feeling to know that everything that we do helps educate people of all kinds, no matter where they live in the world especially here at home, that may not garden. The success and the joy that they find from gardening, and this specifically is square foot gardening, is tremendous for them. I believe we'll have a better world if we have more hands in the dirt. I agree, Craig. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Many of these garden influencers that are popular now started with square foot gardening. Many of them have met Mel before he passed. Mel's whole philosophy was not just about making gardening simple, but it was about empowering people to be self-sufficient. Many of these people went on to do businesses that have created so many jobs. And that was the whole philosophy behind what Mel was thinking, too. It wasn't just this thing. It was way bigger. And it's hard for us to try to get that point across to people so they understand the full world of what Square for Gardening is. It's not just the method. It is a whole philosophy. I thank Steve's dad and get excited about it. I never thought I would. I was a flower gardener. I never grew any vegetables. I'm excited about the influence that 
Steve's dad had on not just me personally and my own family, but the world. It's cool. Yeah. We're finding this opportunities with children, especially urban areas in New Jersey, let's say. Uh, we have developed through one of our certified instructors, Bob Markey, a tremendous children's program at the YMCAs. You have a summer gardening program in inner cities in New Jersey via the YMCA that's teaching young children about vegetables, about growing, about frugality, sustainability. So many of these youngsters have never experienced anything like that. To many of these kids, ketchup, all they knew was it came from a little packet. That was it. To grow tomatoes and to now understand that this is where ketchup gets its start, it was fun to see the, the wonder of their faces, to be able to pick uh, fresh herbs. This young child, she's picking basil, and she had never tasted or smelled fresh basil before. You're opening up a whole new world to these kids. We've got some wonderful programs in North Carolina. In the western part of the state, Junaluska schools, uh, for instance, have tremendous square foot gardens in their program, and they're utilizing the engineering STEM characteristics that are so inherent in square foot gardening to teach children everything from math to sustainability. When we were down there visiting with the students, they had songs about pollinators. So they're starting early to know that you, you don't just smash a bee because it could sting you. That's a, a pollinator and we need to encourage that. We need to therefore plant something that'll help encourage pollinators to our garden. They have wonderful display gardens there for the kids to learn in. They're learning everything in the STEM scenario for children. We're seeing this grow around the country. We're doing some work currently also in northern Idaho with homestead schooling and homesteading. As people start to want to be off the grid somewhat or homeschool their children, we're finding a tremendous interest in learning square foot gardening and teaching it to the children and the families so they can start to become more independent on their own. Well, that's a whole new world I wasn't even aware that you were involved in. And so that's great to hear, too. We saw a huge boost since the pandemic in interest in gardening and also in homeschooling. As we got shut down, people had to find other methods and other ways, and gardening was a perfect reason to do that in terms of therapy. You get your hands dirty, you get it out in the soil, you feel good about it. You're teaching children all kinds of things that they could be learning from a textbook, but they're getting their hands out in the soil and learning from that way. I think it broadens everyone's mind when they garden. You're working on the fourth edition of the book. Yes. Tell us about that. It is a very simple method. So what this book will inevitably do is to bring new insight that we have, new gardening plans, new types of vegetables, more geared towards today's homeowner than, say, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. People are looking for different types of gardens. For instance, they plant a garden that is specifically geared for salsa or for fruits blueberries and things like that, or they want gardens that have specific themes where they can then incorporate that into their diet. We have different techniques for that. There's a lot of new learned science on Mel's mix that will be incorporated into the new book, new methods on building structures. For instance, instead of just having your lettuce bolt after two months in the ground, 
there are real simple, small shade structures that can enable many people to grow their lettuce crops an extra month or two into the season. These are huge because it extends what you can grow and what you can then put on your dining room table. These are important things that are covered in the book. What's really cool is the visuals of some of the different garden plans that Steve was talking about, like a stir-fry garden and specialty vegetables and maybe some of the microgreens that a lot of people are eating the tops of vegetables as well as you know, the root structure underneath, say radishes or what have you. So we delve into that a little bit more, herbs, different herbs and things like that. It's going to be very colorful. It still is basically the same method. That really hasn't changed because that's been successful for 40 plus years. I'm looking forward to seeing the end result of this colorful, illustrated, different way and different approach to Square for Gardening. When's the plan released? We're looking at a September, so we should be going into pre-sales prior to that. Remember, every book sale is money to the foundation to promote programs that we had talked about, like the Anchor Center for the Blind, kids' schools and community gardens and things like that. That's what we're here for. We're here for educating people. We love to visit other people who are making inroads and are popular gardeners. In fact, we just visited one of your Atlanta guys. He's doing great things in a very small space. That is Atlanta Grow, Milan. Great guy, doing great stuff out there. Gardeners are happy to share. It's not my way or the highway. <laughs> We're just another method. People have many methods. We like to support all gardeners. We like to support everybody to grow because we feel it's that important, not only for the environment, but for one's health. That's both physical and mental. I hear the stories of how gardening has helped people's mental health. Square Foot Gardening alone has done that for many people, and they readily admit it and say, without Square Foot Gardening, I don't know where I would be. We got a couple of surprises with the new book coming out, but you'll see, and hopefully your audience will take a look. And look, if you can't afford to buy the book, uh, we'd love you to because that helps our programs. Go to the library. Take it out. Just grow. Just grow. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden? I think there are two main things. Craig, when they're starting out and they're designing and thinking about a backyard garden, location is number one. You have to really know where your sun is going throughout the course of the year. You have to be by a water source so you're not lugging water. Okay, these are the things that people have to think about. One of the philosophies of Square Foot Gardening was, especially if you're in a suburban area, have it close to your house because that way you're going to go out there every day, you're going to tend it every day. And when you do that, you see the pests and problems that arise right away, and you can be on them quicker. Don't plant them by big trees or shrubs where roots can invade and come up through underneath the soil. That's probably the number one thing. The number two thing I would say would be people plant too much. They get so excited about planting, and this is the whole basis of Square Foot Gardening, that they just want to plant a whole bunch of stuff. When it comes all to harvest at once, you could still stagger your planting. They ultimately are growing too much and they have to give it away. That's fine. If you're canning, if you're storing, these are things you want to do. You want to prepare for that. Many people who are just novice backyard gardeners get overenthusiastic. They plant more than they need and they plant things that they really don't like to eat because it's fun. But you have to think about what it is you like to eat. When those beautiful seed catalogs come along, be very careful with how many seeds you buy. 
they're so enticing. I know how it is. You go to the nursery, you see them all and you get so excited. Then you have way more than you really need. The worst thing to me to see, and I know it used to bother Mel terribly, was to see tomatoes laying on the ground or eggplants rotting on the ground. To me, that is just shameful. There's no reason for that. When you go to these community gardens and you see that, oh, I just want to go in there and shake people and say, please, don't plant so much. This is wasteful. It's just terribly wasteful. Yeah, locations and start small. Build on your success. Definitely. What garden myth would you like to smash? If you're gardening and you're ending up leaving half of your tomatoes on the ground to rot because you've lost interest, we'd like to smash that. If you're gardening and you're taking a lawn sprinkler and watering all over the place, wasting a tremendous amount of water, we'd like to smash that. We really don't like wastefulness. We encourage resourcefulness, especially with our natural resources. There's been a change in large-scale gardening to some degree. Uh, we encourage regenerative gardening and not wastefulness, both of your energy and natural resources. I've learned a lot in the last six years, especially with some of our experts, some of whom are scientists. They're also master gardeners. I would say a lot of the myths with companion planting, that's something that's a bugaboo for me. People swear by it, but it's not really backed up with science. At the Square for Gardening Foundation, we like to really try to look at the science of things. I would say companion planting is probably a myth. I think moving your crops around, which Square for Gardening is automatic rotation, the way it's set up with cool weather planting, warm weather planting, cool weather planting in the same square, that eliminates that problem. I would probably say companion planting. There's no real science behind it when you look at it. What's your earliest garden memory? For me personally, as a young boy growing up, growing vertically and having tomatoes and cucumbers grow up a fence and harvesting them, to me, it was almost magical. I loved it. I thought it was really great. That was my first memory, and that was very young, probably a third, fourth grader, learning how to garden from my dad. And I had my own small garden along the driveway near a neighbor's fence, got great sun, I couldn't help it. It was successful. It wasn't square foot gardening, of course. That was another 25 years later, but it was a lot of fun. I never thought about this, Craig, really. Earliest gardening memory? I used to be a flower gardener. I didn't know anything about growing vegetables until I met Mel, which we refer to as Poppy. I remember my mother growing zinnias around a bird bath. I was always enthralled by the colors that a seed that she put into the ground could produce. And also amazed at how it would attract butterflies that would be around a birdbath. It was like a little ecosystem. I guess that's what I loved about it. It was this little mini ecosystem just with a birdbath and zinnias and all the pollinators that it would attract. It attracted me to become a flower gardener. Why did you decide to pursue horticulture as a profession? That's a long story. I grew up in the advertising world on Madison Avenue. My dad had gotten me to take a two-year leave of absence to help him with the TV show. Advertising is what I truly loved. I went back to that after we finished two years of filming, editing, and putting out the PBS series. Laura is also from the advertising world. We ultimately opened up our own small agency here in New York. We did that for 35 years. It was when my dad had gotten ill. 
He had talked to us for quite some time about taking over his foundation. I saw that as an opportunity to retire from advertising and take up the foundation as he had asked. Uh, we had spent a lot of time with him in his final year. In that time, we learned a lot from him about where he saw things going and how he wanted things to be done. That is a promise that both Laura and I made to him that we would uh, take over this foundation and bring it to a new level. That's something we've been working on now for six, seven years. We have a, a wonderful team. That's how we got back into it, really. Could you tell us a funny garden story? When I think of Mel, there's always some kind of funny story that goes with it. He was an eccentric guy, but you couldn't help but laugh at some of the stuff that he does that he was serious about. He was frugal to the fault. I just remember Thanksgiving where he gathered everybody around and he had all these paper bags. It was almost like musical chairs with paper bags, like supermarket size paper bags. He filled them with little goodies, little trowels, packs of seeds, notepads, anything that he confiscated from a hotel room or an airplane or wherever he traveled mixed with those garden items. We had to all pick bags and, and do crazy stuff like that. I remember my sister and her husband were visiting. They were, what and why are we doing this? <laughs> Mel just used to do the funniest, kookiest things. Whenever we travel with him, everybody knew who he was. He was like a celebrity before we had gardening celebrities. People would approach him all the time. In his frugal, humorous way, he was a very humorous man. When he would tip people or he would buy something, he would always do it with a $2 bill. We still have $2 bills laying around the house that always remind us of him, his travels, and people that he met along the way. He was really a very funny guy. But boy, he was frugal. And that philosophy is totally interweaved with Square for Gardening. What's something frugal he would do? I have a good one for you there. It comes up regularly around here where we live. His frugality was quite well known. In many cases, we'd be driving around and there would be an old farm or something that's been sold and they're going to put a development up. There would be a tremendous amount of plantings, shrubbery mostly and trees and things like that. Him being an engineer and having done large scale colleges throughout New Jersey and New York, he knew full well that they're just going to bring bulldozers in and just level everything. So he always carried a couple shovels in the trunk and he would get me to go with him and we'd go to this farm and we'd dig up small trees or shrubs, put them in the back and take them home to his house and he'd plant them. I had always had a little misgiving about that. I always say, dad, somebody else owns this property. And he goes, oh no. He said that they're going to build houses here and they're going to come in with bulldozers and I'll be darned if he wasn't right. Within a year, the place was flat as a pancake, no trees left. They took out everything and they would pop in houses and then put in new trees. Sure enough, he'd have a hundred yard row, if you will, of forsythia or something like that blooming. And he would know that all those came from this one little farm area that was sold for development. His frugality was just one of many very similar stories that he would do. Of course, I did the backbreaking work with the shovel and uh, digging these things out along with my brother. Yeah, I think Mel was the ultimate dumpster diver before that expression even came about. 
literally he would go to what was that bulb company vansong yeah I think it was. yeah yeah there's a large bulb company in holland but they have a huge center here on long island i think it was van borgendine oh that's right okay and we would go to their dumpsters because he found out that they throw away all the bulbs that may be dated a little bit that to him was a tremendous waste so once again he got me to jump into these dumpsters and take out boxes and boxes of bulbs. He would plant them. Sure enough, in front of that forsythia row that uh, ran along his property, he'd have rows of spring bulbs that would come up. I'll be darned if most of them still came up. That was just another one of his. He hated waste. He hated to see things thrown away that could be reused. Uh What's your most viable garden mistake? I know that we made one mistake. I remember one of our certified instructors when we set up our first square foot garden. We were so excited about it. We thought we did everything by the book, right? People like to deviate. We deviated. I just remember the certified instructor, and she was very gracious, but she shook her head like, no. We were like, what do you mean, no? We made our bed three feet wide against a fence, right? Yeah. And what was the dimension? It ran along, it was six feet, but the bugaboo and Amy, she was right. I wasn't going to say three three feet. And if you remember, we talked earlier about how you reach in two feet. We made it three feet. I made it three feet and I said to myself, "Ah, I could get into that. But you know what? After you're planting and you've got peppers that are two feet high, you've got basil that's a foot high, and then you've got your vertical row. We couldn't get to the vertical row. We couldn't reach in to harvest our tomatoes and our cucumbers and our melons. She was absolutely right. The next season, I got out the old saw and we cut that bed down to two feet wide. Now it's two feet wide and it works perfect. That was a good mistake and we learned from it. What have you recently learned about horticulture or gardening? The thing that I've learned recently is everyone has an opinion. With the advent of online communication, everyone has an opinion as to whether you're doing it right or wrong. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Somebody's going to say, oh, no, well, that's not right. You can't do that because of this and this. I think that's the one thing that I've learned where back in the day, prior to online, you can go about your world in gardening and do just fine. But now everyone has an opinion as to whether what you're doing is right or wrong. It's interesting because a lot of those opinions are right and it's right for them. But you are living in, let's say, zone 7B, and, and what you're doing works well for you. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. In my garden, I have herbs or herbs that I love coming out and picking, and the aroma fills the air of the house and kitchen and garden. In my garden, I love coming out early in the morning with a cup of coffee and harvesting fresh vegetables that will later make it onto the kitchen table. I think I would just sum it up with joy. This world has a lot less joy in it in general, and gardening is the one constant that you can find some source of joy, even if it's tiny. Tell us about your garden. Our garden is 15 feet out of a sliding glass doors right off the kitchen here. We have numerous size beds, 
All of them have these wonderful watering grids on them. There's a company in Florida called Garden in Minutes. The son now runs everything, helping out his mom and dad, who were originally started with Square Foot Gardens. And they specifically make garden beds online, and they sell them. And the, But their garden grids to me, this is Garden in Minutes, are tremendous. They work perfect. I have mine set on a timer, and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. That's our garden now. We grow a nice variety of crops. We have a spring garden, we have our summer garden, and we have our fall garden. We have an elevated bed that you don't need to bend over, and we also utilize top hats, which are one foot by one foot squares, usually six inches tall. You put that on top of your square, you're creating the deepness of a one foot, let's say, by putting a top hat on a square. In that, we could grow certain varieties of carrots. Last summer, we had a tremendous success with growing leeks, where we would backfill them as they kept on growing. Of course, when you harvest it, you had a very long section of that beautiful white meaty area that you use in the kitchen so well. And those are areas of our garden where we can grow different things. As Laura mentioned, we have lots of flowers in the beds as well. The excitement of growing and having it so close to the kitchen here, where I'm out there in the morning with a cup of coffee and I'm looking at how things are progressing, that's our garden. And I love spending time out there. What did you learn from your garden last year that you're going to apply this year? I think one of the things that we learned this past year was certain plants do not like a volume of water that other plants need. We had a wall, literally 15 feet high, of tomatoes, cucumbers, melons. They use quite a bit of water, whereas we had an issue with peppers. Peppers would be doing great. They're two feet high, and there's good fruit on them. And then all of a sudden, there's a wilt, and they start to die off. We believe firmly that they were overwatered. And so that's an adjustment that's easy to make with our watering grid that that'll give less water to that square. I think that's something that we will definitely look into this year because there's something about picking fresh peppers that's also a wonderful joy. I have a really hard time with growing summer squash. I try to grow patty pan squash because that's something that you can't really find as a plant start. So we like to try to grow by seed. Steve was talking about a top hat, which is just a simple wood frame that you put on top of a square. I actually put that wood frame on the ground to make a one foot by one foot square garden and put my Mel's mix in it, hoping that the vine borers wouldn't get to it. And they did. I'm still trying to figure out the best solution for that. So this year, I might even actually try to grow the summer squash in a container to keep it off the ground altogether and hope that whatever's in that soil doesn't reemerge. I'll let you know how that goes. Container gardening, look, if you only have that, do it. Do whatever you can. I'm going to try that this year. I'm going to try to grow it in a really big pot and see if maybe that will help with that situation. I haven't learned anything yet. I'm still working on it because gardening is always learning. Every year is different. You can blame whatever you want. Weather conditions are going to be different from year to year. It's always an experiment, so 
don't get flustered. Just get out there and do it. Things will turn out. What plan are you in love with this week? I love patty pan squash because I can't find it anywhere and I haven't been able to grow it. So I still love it. I'm in love with arugula. I absolutely love the flavor and the taste that it brings to salads. Like Laura said earlier about those beautiful glossy uh, catalogs, I just ordered uh, several types of arugula. I can't wait to get those starts going here in the house, and I will get them in my garden with a protection over it so I can start my spring garden early. Here in the East Coast, the groundhogs did not see their shadow. We haven't seen the sun here in about 10 days. So that kind of means we're going to have an early spring. That just made me more excited about the seeds I just ordered and getting my garden planted. I've had enough of winter, and I can't wait for spring. How would you like to wrap up our talk? For your listening audience, we have a tremendous amount of resources on our website. I would say if you want to learn about square foot gardening, go to our website, squarefootgardening.org. Once you're there, there's a lot of blogs that we've had written by really good certified instructors. There's our YouTube channel. There's our Facebook page. Make sure you go to the right one that's got the logo on it. You can learn a lot about the foundation. Even more important is you can learn a lot about square foot gardening. You can get yourself going with just what's on our website. But I do encourage you, if you really want to set out on a path of successful gardening, we have uh, several books out there now that are available on Amazon or through your bookstore, even at your library. Once again, in the fourth quarter of 2024, we should have our fourth edition coming out. And I encourage people to give that a good look. I just want to say thanks to Mel's vision. Square foot gardening has remained popular. It's really hard to do because there is a lot of gardening noise out there. I think when you look at not just the methodology, but the philosophy and the history of square foot gardening, you can easily see why it sustained itself after all these years. I think for those who get intimidated with the Mel's Mix, go to our website, look at our Mel's Mix resources page, contact us at info, we'll answer your questions. We have experts and experts in not just square foot gardening, but general gardening on our Facebook page. Uh, our moderators are top quality gardeners. They know everything about water sustainability and the science behind these things. They're invaluable to us. I would say give Square Foot Gardening a try. Start small. Don't forget that the Mel's mix can last you seven to 10 years. So you have to look at the long haul, not only of costs, but sustainability and add that to the equation of what you're doing you'll see that it is a, a method for all time. Steve and Laura, tell us how people may connect with you. The best way to connect with the Square Foot Gardening Foundation is through our website, which is the squarefootgardeningfoundation.org. There, you can contact us directly at info at squarefootgardening.org if you want to email us. You can also see us on Instagram, Facebook. We have a group and we have a foundation page. So we have two separate pages there. We are also on LinkedIn. But I would say to your audience, Craig, to please look for the yellow and green square for gardening logo 
to make sure that they're on the official pages and links. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder, the Square Foot Gardening Foundation has given us a 20% off coupon code for their online comprehensive Square Foot Gardening Methods course. If you're interested, go to the GardenQuestionPodcast.com episode page 148 and get your 20% off coupon code. This is not an affiliate link and we're not being compensated for you using the coupon. So go to the GardenQuestionPodcast.com episode page 148 to get the 20% off coupon code. This has been episode 148, Square Foot Gardening, growing more food with less space with Steve and Laura Bartholomew on the Garden Question Podcast. Thank you, Steve and Laura. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question Podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.